Hello and welcome to Real Talk for Mums. Two personal trainers coming together through birth trauma to bring laughs, tears and a lot of real talk around the health and well-being of mums. Unedited, raw and unapologetically ourselves, Mags and myself, Lara, aim to empower mums with the knowledge and support they deserve to live their best lives. Come join us for a new episode every week. Perfect. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode. Uh, today, joining me is Courtney, our clinical nutritionist. She's been with us on another episode and she was amazing. So we brought her on again and she said yes, which I'm excited about. We didn't actually, we've had two um, episodes with you, haven't we? Yeah, this is number three. Yeah, she's that good. <laughs> um, we brought her on again, third time's a charm. And we're going to be talking everything fertility and pregnancy wise around nutrition and hormones um so for listeners interested in that uh thank you for coming Courtney again <laughs> it is my pleasure thank you for having me I feel like this is um, a little passion of yours the f- fertility side and the hormone side because you you're quite up to date with your information when I was chatting to you yeah, yeah, I definitely enjoy the fertility and conception and pregnancy care. Um, it really started from enjoying the early childhood nutrition, and then I realized that so much of it comes through from pregnancy and preconception that it all ties in together. Yeah, and as we were talking just before, it doesn't seem to be like there's enough information for updated information for mm-hmm. mums, preconception, and um, after having babies. So we're here to spread the word. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so we, like I said, we're going to cover around food and hormones for those listening who wanted more information on specific fertility things like IVF and things that you can do. Um, we are going to be doing another episode on that another time with a different professional. But Courtney's, we're just talking today around food and hormones because she's the guru. Um, now, we're just going to get straight into it. And because I've had a few mums who have either had a struggling with fertility issues or struggling to get pregnant or um, they've had a baby and they wanted to get pregnant again and then they're struggling so this was quite mm. a prominent topic and I had a lot of mums asking questions so we're going to cover those in the episode today um, but what could be a reason why someone isn't getting pregnant yeah there are a number of reasons as to why someone isn't getting pregnant and um, Endometriosis and PCOS are very common reasons someone isn't getting pregnant. Um, thyroid issues can play into it as well. So having both an overactive or an underactive thyroid can impact ovulation um, and you need ovulation to get pregnant. So mm. the less ovulations we have, the less chance we have of falling pregnant. Um, and on that, not timing intercourse at the right time or having a low sex drive can also impact that. Um fibroids and thickening of the cervical mucus such in cases where there's cystic fibrosis um pelvic inflammatory disease can impact it as well and age which we've all heard about plenty um low sperm count and poor sperm mobility on the male side um and abnormal sperm as well so sperm being an abnormal shape can make it harder to fertilize the egg and for them to move through um when we're trying to get that implantation happening too okay and it's interesting for those listening 
um, you only have like a two day window each month to get mm. pregnant, that ovulation window. And I didn't know that before. So I don't know if it's a common thing that people knew or I was just not aware. I just thought anytime you have sex, you can get pregnant. I mean, I think that's what we were taught in high school. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Always use a condom. Yeah. yeah, but there is only a very narrow window um, in the middle of the cycle where you can fall pregnant. Um, have you had clients who have been trying to get pregnant for, say, like two or three months and they're like, what's happening? And, and do you say to them, actually, that's not long enough time? That's really short? Or is that, should they have been pregnant by then after two or three it months? Really, it really depends. And there are so many variables into it. Um, particularly on that is how well do you know your cycle and how regular is your cycle? Because if you have an irregular cycle, three months is nothing. But if you've been tracking your ovulation and using fertility awareness method to avoid conception and now you're trying to conceive, it should be happening pretty quickly in that situation because you know your fertile windows already. Yeah, okay. So if you have an imbalanced cycle, is it worth then looking into diet and then looking into working with a clinical nutritionist to find out if there is an underlying issue like thyroid and PCOS we're going to go into all of that information a little later anyway for listeners to explain what that actually is Um, yeah absolutely there is so much that can be done um, from a nutritional perspective in regards um, to fertility so we can help with cycle regulation um, improving egg and sperm quality so looking at both male and female factors for fertility Um, reducing inflammation can really be helpful also in cases of endometriosis and generally improving that uterine lining so it's ready for implantation. Um, And then looking forward into pregnancy, like we can help with preventing pregnancy complications and also supporting pregnancy and postpartum. Okay. To me, it sounds a little overwhelming and stressful. Like if I went in to see someone and they said, we'll look into all of this information I would feel a little bit overwhelmed myself. Um, what could a mum do if they're listening now and they just, they feel like they just want some tweaks? Like, mm-hmm. is there a sort of nutrition diet or is that just rubbish? Like there's no certain foods that can make you more fertile than others. Yeah, I mean, the Mediterranean diet is okay. Yeah. The, the only kosher for most the whole, Yeah, the holy grail. Okay, um, for those who don't is, know what that is, Mediterranean diet is generally quite high in healthy fats quite high in antioxidants quite high in vegetables and it also removes a lot of processed foods so it has a lot of the good stuff in it and it takes away a lot of things that we don't really need in our body and there's Um, not much gluten or dairy in that diet either is there correct yeah that's correct um I do have a free download on my website if people are looking for more info on that Mediterranean diet because it is our catch-all for a lot of things I will share that link in the show notes below for anyone listening carry on carry on away you were you were on a flow um so yeah the it's the mediterranean diet um that we look for for fertility um but also making sure that we've got reduced stress levels our sleep is like we're on top of our sleep and managing our stress levels is also really important on that note around stress i've what would you say to someone who Um, is very healthy, probably following a Mediterranean style diet, um, has had a baby before, maybe had two or three babies before. Um, They're very healthy. They get plenty of sleep. 
what would you say could be a reason why they're not getting pregnant? Yeah, so this is what we call secondary secondary infertility. So when they've had a pregnancy prior and then it's not happening after that, it's secondary infertility. Um, I don't really like the word infertility. I prefer subfertility because it doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. It's quite negative, isn't it? It makes you feel a little bit like, oh, I'm infertile. Yeah, yeah, exactly, which is not necessarily the case. No. Um, So I'd be interested in, you know, what's the age gap between the children? How are our hormones going? How is our cycle going? Um, But age can also be an impact here here. Um, because as we've had more children, we're getting older, so that can impact things as well. Um, there is some recent research around a supplement called NAD plus um, that can be an option when they're looking at that older fertility. Um, when I say older, it's over 35 to 40, which yeah, is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but when we're looking at having children over 35, that is an option. Um, and the recent research is really supportive of that. PCOS and endometriosis can come on at any time. So that's not something that we can rule out if there has been previous pregnancies. Um, Previous birth complications. So if there's been multiple cesareans, there might be some scarring in the uterus um, that might be affecting the implantation. And has there been a change in sperm quality as well? So that can impact things too. I think that's important to note as well. I think the pressure is always on the mum. It's like, why aren't we getting pregnant? What could I be doing more of? Um, but let's talk about the men what could they be doing could they should they be following the Mediterranean diet too definitely and there is so much research like I was only looking at a paper last night that was released last month um around paternal alcohol intake um and its impact on development of the fetus Uh there is so much that is coming out at the moment on the impact of paternal diet and lifestyle factors on the health of the baby so They're even linking things like, um, (laughs) 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 Um, preeclampsia and morning sickness to, um, to paternal health coming into conception Mm. and low protein diet in the father can cause metabolism issues in the offspring, particularly in the way the liver processes cholesterol, um, folate intake we often think of mother but it can also impact the sperm too and that has been linked so folate low folate intake in the father has been linked to chronic illnesses later in life um, for the child and paternal diet has also been linked to body weight and body composition issues um, in the child as well including diabetes and glucose sensitivity issues too so there's a whole lot of research that's coming out that's supporting the fact that it's not just the mother's diet in the preconception period that's important for that offspring wow okay that's good to hear that this kind of like so mums listening could be like I've tried everything what can I do now maybe you can talk to your partner and see what they can do as well absolutely so yeah it's that Mediterranean diet so lots of veggies, having those good quality sources of protein and reducing the caffeine and alcohol is the bare bones of what we need males to do in the preconception period. Okay. Um, what about the contraceptive pill or the, mm. the implant? What if um, they've been on that or that's been in their system? Is there a yeah. certain frame where they should have come off of it? 
Yeah, so it depends on how long we've been on hormonal contraception for. Um, ideally, you're working with someone for three months to come off that to minimize any symptoms associated with coming off the hormonal contraception. Um, there is no strong evidence at the moment that hormonal contraception impacts fertility. What it does impact is the knowledge of our cycle. It affects our cycle, like our cycle does take a while to regulate once we come off the hormonal contraception. Um, and also the age of starting that hormonal contraception can impact the buildup of progesterone in our system. So that's something to be aware of too if we're looking at someone who has started hormonal contraception at 13 or 14 because of period pain or something like the many things that people use hormonal contraception yeah. for other than contraception. How is that impacting that buildup of hormones later on that they haven't had in their system? And mm. um, the other important thing to note is that hormonal contraception depletes a lot of key nutrients in the body that are needed for pregnancy. So we're looking at zinc, magnesium, selenium, B vitamins, including folate, vitamin C. Um, we need to build up the stores of those before conception as well. Right. And that's why. Um, so I worked with a nutritionist before I got to know you um, when I was trying with my second baby and she said to me get on your prenatal vitamins vitamins as as I say um <laughs> and and I was like but what why um mm. I, and it was about four five six months I think bef before I was actually going to try to get pregnant what yeah what do you think of that the prenatal yeah vitamins? I mean it Looking in that situation, it depends on if the prenatal vitamin we're looking at has the nutrients that we're looking to use. So yeah. it can absolutely make sense to use that um, in transitioning off the pill to top up those nutrients that are missing. Okay. What if someone wasn't on a contraceptive pill? Could they still take prenatal vitamins? Um, w when they're starting to try? Yeah. Yep, or should they absolutely. be doing way before? No, so if there's no like there's no current hormonal contraception use, we've got a regular cycle, I'd be looking at prenatal vitamins when we're starting to try for a baby. Okay. Um, recent research, um, so there was a study done in the US where they analysed, I think it was about 20,000 different prenatal supplements. And they found that most of them do not meet the requirements needed for a person during pregnancy. Um, I think, so they analysed them against, I think it was six or seven key nutrients. Um, there was a certain percentage that met 70, like seven of those nutrients, uh, like five of those nutrients, a certain amount met seven of those nutrients. Um, I think there was only one out of the 20,000 that met the requirements for pregnancy. And even oh. that supplement, you needed to take about six tablets a day. So what the research is showing is that you need a good quality diet alongside a good quality prenatal to meet your nutrient requirements for pregnancy. Wow. So it's great to be taking a prenatal vitamin, but don't ignore your dietary factors as well um, in that. 
Yeah, lovely. I'm glad you said that because so many people just rely on, well, I'm taking a supplement so I can eat what I want. So I'm going to get everything from it. Um, mm -hmm. But like you said, out of what, 20,000? Yeah, one? it was That's ridiculous. Crazy. What is that one? I didn't <laughs> actually look at the name of it, but <laughs> it was like $200 a month or something. Oh, like I was wow. like, it's not even worth it. Like, yeah. <laughs> we have some great quality supplements here that are not going to meet all your requirements, but with a good quality diet, we can, you know, meet enough of them at least. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, and I take it uh, store-bought ones are a no-no. Yeah, I'd avoid the elephant. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely avoiding the elephant. I was told about that. Um, when I looked at it, I was, I was quite shocked that it had very low levels of the key nutrients that we're looking for. Specifically folate. I think it was really artificial, mm -hmm. wasn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, so, yeah, I would be talking to a practitioner about the best option for you. There's quite a good um, range of them that a practitioner can recommend. Um, there's two that I tend to use in clinic depending yeah. on the person I'm working with okay cool and there's not really any point saying the name because you have to go through a practitioner to get it anyway so I'm just yeah. confirming to listeners we're not hiding yeah, the name not you just can't get it <laughs> yeah they're available in the description so you're best yeah. off talking to a practitioner perfect um going back to how to get pregnant and the people the mums who have been have had babies already mm. um you touched on stress now I think a lot of mums don't necessarily think stress is impacting them as much as maybe it is because for me I I was trying with Arthur only two three months but mm. every month I would check and if I wasn't pregnant I would feel so sad and down and um that stress alone would impact me and I Absolutely. believe that and I felt it in my body so surely people who've been trying for longer they would be feeling it, whether they believe it or not Absolutely. There's a level of stress there, but there's also like, if we're looking at that secondary infertility picture where we're, you know, we've already got a child, there's also the stress of looking after another child and there's the broken sleep and the nutrition that's not quite where it was first time around because there's another child to look after. Like it's not the same situation. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, let's touch on a little bit of gut health. Um, can mm. we? Because I'm sure this is going to impact um, getting pregnant or not. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, gut health is impacting everything. Yes. Um, but there is, there is some research around you know, the microbiome and fertility. Um, particularly, like I've seen research around the microbiome and endometriosis. Um, but also things like getting our cycle regular and estrogen is a really opportunistic hormone. So if we're not clearing the estrogen, it will just go around and build up in our, like in our system. We need to clear estrogen through our digestive system. So if we're not having regular bowel movements, we're not regularly clearing that estrogen out of our body. Huh. Um, it also impacts levels of inflammation, us removing toxins out of the body. So it, it impacts a whole lot of things um, in relation to fertility. The other thing to be aware of is that because gut health is so key to our immune health and so many other, you know, we're finding more and more about the connection between mental health and gut health. Mm -hmm. um, a infant will inherit the mother's gut microbiome. So yeah. making sure that that gut microbiome is, as good as it can be prior to birth, um, which starts in the preconception period, is really important for that child's health. 
Mm, great. Yeah, definitely. Um, I love a bit of gut health that you know anyway. Um, what, when it comes to having a good microbiome, um, would you just recommend taking a probiotic or like we talk about um, eating the rainbow, getting that variety? Yeah. Eating the rainbow, getting the variety um, is really important. Reducing processed foods as well because they're going to support the bacteria that we don't really want in our system. And having those probiotic foods like the kombuchas and the sauerkrauts, things like that in the diet is really helpful as well. I, in a preconception, you know, typical preconception case where there's no gut health symptoms, um, I wouldn't be looking at going in with a probiotic until about the third trimester just to make sure that we're one, on top of everything before baby comes, but two, because particular strains of probiotics um, have been shown to reduce instances of mastitis. So if I've got a mother who's looking at breastfeeding, we'll be looking at building up that strain um, in the system during the third trimester to reduce instances of mastitis later on. Ah, interesting. Mm. So we can start with a bit of prevention there. Yeah, so yeah. go with the diet, go with the fermented foods, go with the eating the rainbow mm. um, as opposed to, to supplementing straight away. Yeah, that's typically my approach where we can do it. I love your approach, though. It's always it's always more about getting the food right first, because mm. so many practitioners that I have experienced myself just recommend supplements. But you're not looking at the diet and what else is going on, like stress and exercise and everything else in your life. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And if I go in with a supplement, like don't you know, sometimes supplements are needed and you know, there is time and place for supplements. However, it's not always a sustainable approach. And if I can get someone eating properly, that's going to carry on longer term than mm. them taking a supplement. And it's expensive as well because these Absolutely. probiotics are good quality stuff and you don't want to, or supplements, yeah, whatever. Definitely, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, my phone's just gone all funny. Let's have a little look. Uh Going back to endo and PCOS, I just want to cover yeah. that because I have had a few questions from mums who have been diagnosed with PCOS or endo. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But I've read that PCOS is overdiagnosed and it's actually just an imbalance, could be just an imbalance in the gut microbiome. Is that correct? Or have you heard that? Um, there's a whole lot of theories around PCOS. Yeah. Um, so... I mean, it, like I think it, it it's an a um, hormonal imbalance, so it's definitely related to the gut microbiome. Um, as I've said, like clearing those hormones out. Everything's um, related to the <laughs> gut microbiome, listeners. Just we listen can't to get this. away from it. No. Um, like I'm going to separate out PCOS in a minute. Yeah, do. So when we're talking about PCOS, the impact on conception is that there is a reduced like the cycle is irregular. We often see really long cycles, so instead of that 28 to 35 day cycle we're seeing 70 to 90 day cycles which means that there's less ovulation so less chance of conception and um, there is four different types of pcos wow and that just, is not um, something that's often spoken PCOS about PCOS is actually polycystic ovarian strength that's correct um so there's four different types so we've got post pill um inflammatory there is a stress-related type as well. Um, and there's another type of that kind of top of my head right now. Um, oh, I, <laughs> no, I have no idea there was four. 
Um, so essentially what we need to do when we're looking at, you know, and the type of PCOS depends on symptoms, but also the onset. So that is how we're looking at um, treating them as well. But overall, we want to reduce the androgens. And we also, in most cases, need to increase the in insulin sensitivity as well, because we see a lot of insulin resistance in cases of PCOS. Um, in terms of a dietary approach, spearmint tea, flax seeds, omega-3 and nuts are really good in case of PCOS. Um, vitamin D is also important. So making sure that we're getting enough of that sunshine um, to reduce those high androgen levels. Brilliant. When we're looking at endometriosis, the impact on fertility is really mixed. So 50% of people with endometriosis will have trouble falling pregnant but up to 50% of people who have trouble falling pregnant end up being diagnosed with endometriosis. How do you know if you have got endometriosis? I know it's can it is it just very painful period or is there something else? You the you can have cases of endometriosis where the only symptom is infertility. Right. And um, it can be completely asymptomatic. It can also the current research is linking it to the immune system. So it's not seen as an autoimmune disease, but there is some immune system dysregulation happening. So back to the which, gut again then. Well, yeah. And it can happen at any time. Mm. So just because there has been previous pregnancies that have been fine, doesn't mean endometriosis hasn't come on later in life. Um, so because there is that immune system dysregulation, we see an increase in inflammation. So our our emphasis is on reducing that inflammation um, and the associated effects with that. So there can be some decreased egg quality, which we'll be looking at as well. How can you get diagnosed either with PCOS or endometriosis? Should you just go to your doctor and ask, or can you go and see a clinical nutritionist and they can? Yeah, so you'd need to see your doctor. Um, PCOS, depending on how across your doctor is with um, women's health, they can look at hormonal testing and look at diagnosing through that. Um, the only way to diagnose endometriosis at the moment is through laparoscopy surgery. So you would need to go down the path of seeing an OBGYN, um, so an obstetrician gynecologist, or who would be able to do the testing for that if they saw it was you know, necessary. Wow. So um, there is some research going on around some like ultrasound and scanning technology to diagnose it, but we're just not there yet. Again, it seems to be quite a lot of stress and appointments and things. Um, yeah. Would you just say to listeners, like if you're concerned, the first things to look at would be getting on this type of Mediterranean diet, mm -hmm. looking at you and your partner doing the same. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, like, and it starts small. And even if it is endometriosis, we're going to go back to the Mediterranean diet. We're going to go back to anti-inflammatory. So I like, think, you're not yeah. doing anything wrong. Like you're not going to do any harm by starting there. So it makes me think, do we really need to get diagnosed or do we just, we'll be doing the same protocol anyway. Is it just really for people's peace of mind or is there something to it to get diagnosed? Um, it's peace of mind. It also helps with family history. So if there's any other case of infertility in the family later on, that can be helpful information to have. 
Um, but also depends on the stage of endometriosis. Um, having that endometriosis removed, like depending on where it is. So if it's on the fallopian tubes and places like that, it can improve chances of conception once it is removed. Mm, okay. Um, when it comes to the imbalances, I think I just want to go back to touch on regulating the cycle mm. again. It's it's to get onto a better diet so that you can get your cycle more in balance and obviously come off the contraceptive pill whatever you're doing absolutely to figure yeah, so, it out yeah so we want to make sure that we're addressing any nutritional deficiencies um and either clearing excess hormones or reducing excess hormones from being produced okay um for listeners you kind of don't have to know this it's just best to go mm. with a clinical nutritionist who can figure all this stuff out for you absolutely and they'll literally just say this is what you need to do yeah yeah um we can work out what's going on by looking at blood tests but also you know symptoms can often give us a lot of clues as to what's happening yeah okay cool um let's just touch on miscarriages because mm. I, it seems to be quite common and i I think every mum that I've spoken to has had a miscarriage and obviously it's really it impacts you mentally. Um, Absolutely. And it also creates a lot of stress in the next, mm. next pregnancy. Yeah. Yeah. Again, whether you think you've got that stress on your body or not, I'm sure if you've had a few miscarriages and you're trying to conceive, mm. this is always in the un underlying and in your mind, that stress. Absolutely. Um, again, let's talk about nutrition when it comes to that. Mm. Yeah. So there is some very recent research released um, that has indicated a high intake of fruit um, is associated with a 60% reduction in the risk of miscarriage and a high intake of vegetables is associated with a 40% risk of miscarriage. Wow. Um, which is, um, like, they're massive numbers um, yeah. to come out in the research. And the other foods such as dairy, whole grain, seafood and eggs also play a positive role in reducing the risk of miscarriage. Um, so there is a lot of support for nutrition um, in reducing the risk of miscarriage. So what should listeners be then doing? Because I know the Mediterranean diet doesn't support dairy, but then it's good to have dairy in your diet to help prevent miscarriage there is small amounts of dairy in the mediterranean diet but i would okay. still be looking at prioritizing the fruits and vegetable intake okay great and the fish and the fat yes yeah nice um, and like so many australians don't meet the two serves of fruit and five serves of veg in a day so just starting there is a good starting point to you know try and get those serves up sounds like it and i think water intake too so many people mm. um aren't even getting that Absolutely. Um, so sounds like lots that we can do regarding diet. And even if we think that we're eating like a healthy diet, mm. maybe listening to this podcast has helped help you maybe make a few tweaks to your diet and also your partners. Absolutely. And I think there can be a difference between what is a traditionally healthy diet yes. and eating for conception. Um and so prioritizing those nutrients like the omega-3s, like the folates that we need for conception is really important. Mm. But also don't buy omega-3s on the shelf because I've heard that a lot yeah. of them are just rancid. Yeah, I would be, if you're like, I don't tend to use a lot of omega-3 supplements actually in um, clinic. Um, okay. If we can get two serves of fish a week, we're meeting most of our omega-3 intake requirements. 
that's brilliant to know mm. just two serves a week that's definitely doable for people right yeah absolutely and then they don't have to buy an expensive supplement again yeah um okay so when can people see a clinical nutritionist if they're trying to get pregnant whenever you would like yeah um <laughs> so i see a lot of people doing the like we've been trying for 12 months and you know can i see someone now I see people before they've come off the pill and are wanting support coming off the pill before trying. Um, you can come and see a clinical nutritionist at any point of your conception journey and we'll be able to help um, make some tweaks and improve your chances of conception. Okay, fab. So I love this. Thank you, Courtney. Um, just what do you want people to know? Anything that's inspired you? Anything that you want to share with people who are trying to get pregnant I obviously like yeah said, we don't like infertility it's too no um I would say like there is support available don't feel like that you know don't feel like there's no support available because you've been trying for six months and it hasn't happened as like as you were sharing with your experiences you're doing the pregnancy test and they're coming back negative each month you can see a clinical nutritionist um for support in that area regardless of how long you've been trying for amazing and I uh, even if you've been trying for like four or five years there's still yeah there's still always hope there absolutely and you know no matter what path you go down as well like if natural fertility doesn't work out for you a clinical nutritionist can also support through IVF um, and assisted reproduction as well and improve those outcomes too so there is no harm in working with a clinical nutritionist to improve your fertility generally brilliant yay that's so good um I hope people have gained something from listening to this. And if it, it does um, help, we'd love to know how you get on. Uh, if you have any questions for Courtney, she will be happy to answer them. If you drop us an email to realtalkformums at gmail.com. Uh, if this sounds like it's going to benefit other mums or partners or anything, um, please do share the episode and write us a review. We would love that. Courtney, thank you again for coming on to thank third you time, so luckily. <laughs> I'm sure you're going to be on again. <laughs> thank you so much. Okay, bye for now. Bye. After this podcast interview I did, I then found some more information by a registered dietitian called Lily Nichols, who supports and does a lot of work with pregnancy and postpartum women. And she has uh, some information about the Mediterranean diet that she shares with studies and it can be misinterpreted quite a lot. So ultimately it's about focusing on what works for you and finding a dietary pattern that makes sense for your region, what grows around you and is in line with your own family's eating patterns and traditions and that makes sense and feels good for you. But following the Mediterranean diet can be confusing. Um, if you have a look, I've actually shared a link to her post with studies underneath. So feel free to have a read and then make up your own mind about whether you'd like to follow the Mediterranean diet or not.